0: Alright, good job teenagers, thank you for that, and I hope you pray for our teens, and I mean that, uh, pastor says it all the time, but they are the, they are the future of Christianity, not just our church, even though that's true too, they're the future of, our, of Christianity, and you pray for them, uh, <clears throat> not just that they'll be good, stuff like that, even though that's good, pray that God gets their hearts, um, that's what he wants, he wants their heart. Brother Josh, am I, is this thing up too high? I never wear this. It's perfect right there. Okay. It sounds like I'm ringing just a tiny bit. So, uh, if I am, tell me what I need to do, or or he can adjust it back there. So I preached last Sunday night about God's timing, and uh, I had I had one happen this week. I was on my computer, uh, getting getting everything ready, and the touch screen on it just completely went out. So the computer works fine. the 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 uh, tablet but the touch screen is gone. I'm glad that didn't happen this morning because I would have been blind. So I was able to get my notes all printed out, so we're good. I just don't have my computer up here, and that's probably fine, too. It sometimes is a distraction. Turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 19. And we're going to be a little while before we get there. But that's where I want you to turn. Now, if you can, um, <clears throat> put, put a bookmark or... Hold your finger there, or something like that. I got a couple passages I'd like us to go to uh, before we get to Revelation chapter nineteen. But I got a couple. Uh, the, oh no, there it went. Got a couple little jokes for you. All right, they're dad jokes. Where's Kevin? There he is. Okay, I got some dad jokes for Kevin. All right, and I know the pulpit is not a, a place to be. Uh, silly and, and goofy, but I had the girls, I told a joke in Sunday school, and the girls miss it, so they were, they were all asking me, what was the joke, what was the joke, I'll tell them later, but I got a couple for us uh, this morning before we really get started, all right, very short little one liners I'm afraid for the calendar, it's days are numbered, <laughs> I'm just going to keep looking at Kevin, because he'll laugh at them all, <laughs> all right, my wife said I should do lunges to stay in shape, that would be a big step forward. And Alex got this one. I was running some of them through, making sure Alex would laugh about them, and he did. Why do dads take an extra pair of socks when they go golfing? In case they get a hole in one. (laughs) All right, let's see. i got a couple more. What do a tick and the Eiffel Tower have in common? They're both parasites. What do you call a fish wearing a bow tie? Sophisticated. Now, you have to be a certain age to get this one, okay? And I'm not going to explain it, so if you get it, you get it. How do you follow Will Smith in the snow? You follow the fresh prince. (laughs) If April showers bring May flowers, what do May flowers bring? Pilgrims. And the last one, this one's for me. I thought the dryer was shrinking my clothes, but it turns out it was the refrigerator all along. Alright, there's nothing wrong, I believe, with laughing in church. I've told my brother this before, I want my kids to, be, to, to enjoy coming to church. I say kids, my kid. I want our kids to enjoy coming to church. It shouldn't be the, the most boring place they come each week. Uh, and, and part of that is, is uh, the dad's job, get them excited about going to church, the parent's job. But I think part of that is uh, the church, once we get to church, there's nothing wrong with having fun. We don't want to be... Uh, light, but having fun in church. It's a, it's a place that we want our kids to enjoy coming to, have fond memories of, uh, but not just fond memories. We want them to uh, be, be glad when they come into the house of the Lord, right? All right, Revelation chapter 19, 19 hopefully you're there. Um, we're going to pray because I have a really long introduction, and I'm afraid if I get through the introduction and then pray that everybody's going to panic and go, he just got through the introduction. Because uh, that's normally when you pray, but we're going to pray first and then we'll get uh, into the introduction and then into the message Father, I thank you for this day you've given us God, I to thank you for another opportunity. We have to meet in your house to open your word freely God, I pray that we would uh, not only open your word when we come to church God, I pray it would be a daily thing that we're doing not out of duty but out of a love for you, God, I pray that we would open your words so that we can know what it is that you want us to do with our lives, that we can understand uh, how you want us to live. And also, as we'll talk about this morning, so we can understand what a great God we serve. And uh, God, I just pray that we would calm my nerves, God, the, um, <clears throat> that you would just give me the words to say, that you would uh, um, direct my thoughts and uh, God, that your people would be fed. This morning, and again, I pray that you be with our pastor. God, I know His heart, and I know He wants to be here, um, and that He would, uh, He wants to be here and be with your people. And God, I pray as you bring Him back on Tuesday, uh, that you would uh, just bring them safely, and that we'd be back here together on Wednesday night. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. All right, Um, brother Nitten, a couple. It's been a few months, and if you don't know brother Nitin, uh he's back in India now started a church he's a missionary uh, got saved at our church um, long story but thought he was saved grew up in church uh, in a Christian church in India and uh, his salvation experience was at eighteen years old they baptize him and say okay you're, you're a Christian now that's his baptism I mean that's his, his salvation experience and uh, he's listening right now uh, they they use our morning service for their for their late evening service there in India because they're 12 hours ahead. I think it's 12 hours. Uh, So it's late there, but they're watching our service. And um, anyways, he was here in our church and he got to preach a lot those last couple months that he was here. We really enjoyed that. Um, But he preached a message about how doctrine matters. I don't know if y'all remember that. Doctrine does matter. It's very, very important. And I think one of the most important doctrines that we have and I could be wrong if you have one that you think is more important, that's fine. But I think one of the most important doctrines we have is it's called the doctrine of Christology, the teaching and the doctrine of Christ, what we believe about Christ. And why is that so important? Well, because Christ is the one that saves us, right? Put your phones on silent, please. He's the one that saves us. He, it is his death on the cross that allows us to have that salvation, that, that new birth. So it's very, very important. And I want to talk about a few minutes about that in, in an introduction because what we believe about Christ affects so much more about what we do and what we say and what we believe as Christians. So I think, and, and hopefully this, this doesn't offend anybody, but it is what it is. I think the picture that we have of Christ, and I some uh, hang them in their homes and, and whatever, uh, a picture of Jesus, but I think we, we often... If, when I say picture, think of what Jesus looks like. You have a picture in your mind because many people have tried to paint a picture of what they think Christ looks like. And so you, you first thing you imagine is probably a, 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 a European male, right? A white guy, just because that's what we always see with long hair down to his shoulders, a really, really uh, maybe soft, compassionate face, uh, soft eyes. But if you get the whole picture of him, a lot of times you have him, his hands outstretched, right? They, we have a picture of a soft-handed Jesus um, that just loves everybody. And this is what I'm saying about why our doctrine of Christ matters. Because uh, we also believe that Christ is part of the Trinity, right? Which means he is God. And there's a lot in the Old Testament that talks about the judgment that God is going to bring that's Christ that is Christ so that's why our our doctrine of Christ matters Uh, Jesus did not come in the New Testament apologizing for how the God of the Old Testament acted that's not what he was doing he was fulfilling the law right but I think that's that's what we do as Christians sometimes is you know somebody will ask us what does that mean in the Bible I thought God was God is love well and we try to explain around it God is love and we'll talk about that here in a few minutes. But he is also the God of the Bible, the king of kings. We talked about it last week, right? The ruler of the earth that laughs when the armies of God are come up against him because of his power. That's Jesus Christ, too. All right? So um, I think, and, and I'll, I'm going to just go, I, think, I also think that because of our picture of Christ, that he is our, he is our friend but that he's just our, our friend hanging out with us is why we have pastors standing in front of churches in t-shirts and jeans uh, and skater shoes looking like they're going to the fair, fair afterwards because of their, their picture of what God really is. Um, remember the priests when they would come into the Holy of Holies? What were they? What did they look like? If they had a sin, God would kill them. But we come... And it's not just the pulpits, but I think the pulpits is, is part of where it starts. Come before God into the pulpit to preach his word, trying to look like one of the dudes. We're not respecting Christ because our, our doctrine of Christ is not what it should be. Um, think about the strength that it took Jesus Christ to go through the sacrifice on the cross. That's not the... the and, and pardon me if I'm misspeaking, but the the metrosexual looking Jesus that we get a picture of. I think Jesus, he was a carpenter. He was a working class person all the way up until he was 30 years old when he started his ministry. I think he could have had very strong hands, uh, a a strong face, uh, very much self-control. Obviously he was God, but think about that. He's sweating blood in the garden because he doesn't want to do this but he still surrenders to the will of the Father. Um, And I also think that he would have been a a very, very normal-looking Jew for that time. Isaiah 53. uh, If you want to go there, you're more more than welcome. I've written these down, so I don't have to turn. But Isaiah 53, 1 and 2. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. This is Jesus. Okay, so when, when we see a picture of Jesus, and I've heard a couple pastors, and I don't disagree with them, uh, one of the Ten Commandments is Thou shalt not have any other graven, not have a graven image, and we put these images of, of Christ in our homes. Um, take that for what it what what you want. But he says this: He hath no form or comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. This was not the this was not a Hollywood Jesus that was teaching. They weren't drawn to his good looks or to his um, personality even. There is no form or comeliness, and when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. And I think this is why the Jews were so confused and so confounded about this being the Messiah. He was just a normal-looking guy. You can't be the king of kings. You can't be the one that we're looking for. But he prophesied that in Isaiah chapter 53. And I already start, uh, touched on it, but I think another piece of our doctrine of Christ is the, the Trinity. Uh, go, to, go to Genesis chapter 1. Before you get there, I'm going to read and, say, and keep your finger in Revelation chapter 19. I told you we're going to turn to a few passages before we get there. But uh, John chapter 1, you go to Genesis chapter 1. And I think, I, I think even as Baptists, we're not uh, Trinitarian enough, so to speak, because we like to separate Jesus from God the Father. They're, they are one. They are the same. They, they are in 100% agreement with one another. Uh, Jesus was not saying, if, if, please let this cup pass from me because he disagreed with it. It was because he knew how hard it was going to be. But he was in 100% agreement with the sacrifice that needed to be made for the sins of the world. Um, and the spirit, you know, we, we know in John fourteen twenty six, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. That wasn't a New Testament it, uh, invention. Look at Genesis chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the word, sorry, that's John 1. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. I'm getting there so I don't mess it up. Verse two, and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. He was there at the beginning. The spirit was because this is the Trinity. Didn't, it's not a doctrine that Jesus Christ made up and, and then uh, tried to teach. It was there from the beginning. So was Jesus. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the Word was God. So, who's the Word? Jesus Christ. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Who? The Word. And the Word is Jesus. So, uh, how do we know? Look at John 1. I'm I'm getting rid of these pages because I got too much stuff up here. But, John 1 14. If, If you already were in John 1, great. If not, I'll just read it. But, How do we know then who is the word? I think it's pretty obvious, but it doesn't say in John 1.1, the word is Jesus. So John 1.14, and the word was made flesh. And that word is capitalized because it's a proper name. Talking about the the word of John 1.1, a few verses earlier. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Who is it? It's Jesus. So Jesus is God. And, and I'm trying to point this out because uh, we're going to get here in a second, but I'm trying to make sure that we understand Jesus is not just a third part of the Trinity. He is God. He is God. Um, so Jesus does love you. And we're going we're gonna to start making, making this make sense here in a minute. God does love you. When we tell people, when we stand at their door and try to to witness to them and say, Jesus loves you. He does love you. But we're going to go to Revelation uh, 19 here in just a second. So turn your Bibles there if you've moved. But he is also the one in Revelation 19 declaring and warning of the judgment to come. Okay? That's Jesus. He is God. Revelation chapter 19. And I love this this, uh, passage because Gives us a little tiny glimpse into what heaven is going to be like. Revelation chapter 19, verse 1. And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, "Hallelujah! salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication. This is a song they're singing. And hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And we'll get here in a second, too. We'll come back to this verse. He hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Hallelujah! And her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen. Hallelujah. And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. We talked about that last week. The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. This is the song that we are going to sing after all of this, uh, after after the king of kings comes back. We'll continue on. Verse 7, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. Who's the lamb? It's Jesus Christ. The marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. Who's his wife? The church. Verse 8, And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, that's us, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, Right blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God, and I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not, I am thy fellow servant. And of thy brethren that have testimony of Jesus, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now here we see in verse 11. This is the point of of this passage is now we see this Jesus, this loving Jesus that we've painted this uh, pretty picture of. This is Jesus. And I saw heaven open and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. Who is that? That's that's Christ, faithful and true. And in righteousness, he did judge and make war. Doesn't sound like the picture we see. And his eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. That's Jesus. We just saw that in John 1.1. 1, 1, 1. So this is Jesus. His name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in white lin- in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together, we read this verse last week, to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. So it's, it's talking about God, but this is Jesus. This is the Jesus that loves us. And the whole point of, of what I'm saying here, and this is still introduction and we'll, where the points are going to be quick, but the whole point of this is to, to help us to understand and make sure we understand that we are not apologizing for anything with Jesus. He is going to bring this judgment on those that will not accept him. This is the Jesus that we serve and love and that loves us. But he's, we saw in Psalms last week, he's a terrible God. Not, not mean. Terrible doesn't mean bad. Powerful. And we better respect him as such. Verse 20, And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, and with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. They were cast alive into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. This is Jesus, okay? So, very important that we understand Jesus is God. This is the Jesus we're talking about. Uh, so doctrine matters, what, what Brother Nitton talked about. But now, go to Revelation 5. And we're going to stay in Revelation the rest of the, the, the day. But it, it's funny, uh, there was a poll taken, and it, was, it said, um, a poll of the people in the church. What, would you, what book would you like to hear more about? And the poll almost said, uh, uh, unanimously said, "Revelation." They took a poll of preachers and said, "What book do you try to avoid?" Almost unanimously, Revelation, <laughs> because there's so much in it, but it's nothing to be afraid of, nothing to shy away from. Revelation chapter five, verse twelve. Here's where I'm, this is. This is where I'm going with this. Revelation five twelve, saying with a loud voice, "Worthy is the Lamb that was slain." Who is that? Jesus. To receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And we could read on. Every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth. And such as are in the sea and all that are in them. Heard I saying blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever. So we're going to talk about that this morning. Worthy is the Lamb. Go one more passage. Revelation 1. And here here is where we're going to get into the actual points of the message. Revelation chapter 1 and start in verse 1. Now this is John. This is John's revelation um, that he was given from God. His revelation of of heaven and of of things to come. The revelation of Jesus, verse 1, Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth. This is interesting too. Just by reading the book of Revelation, you get a blessing. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein. For the time is at hand. Verse four, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Verse 5, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You saw in Revelation 5, 12, the the saints were saying blessing and glory and honor. Verse 6, Unto him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Worthy is the lamb. We're going to look at these six points in verse 5 and 6. There's six points. Of why is this lamb that we've been talking about, why is he, why is he worthy? All right, And right. First, we got six of them, and I'm going, to, I'm going to move right on through them. First of all, he is the faithful witness. Look at verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness. He is intrinsically the faithful witness. He cannot, you know, in the Bible it says, God, that cannot lie. This is Jesus who can only be faithful. He has no other way to be. He's faithful. But what is he faithful in? He is faithful in showing God to us, but he's also faithful in bringing and representing us to God. Remember when he died, he presented his blood to the Father. He's faithful. There have been kings, Of the children of Israel that were God's people, kings, prophets, judges, uh, uh, preachers that have tried to be faithful in their service to God and in bringing, uh, the message of, of God's word to his people. None of them have been faithful, uh, completely faithful. Jesus Christ is the faithful witness, um, He's superior to every witness that has ever come before him. The Bible says he is prophet, priest, and king. So there were prophets and priests and kings that tried to do this. He is the prophet, priest, and king that fulfilled everything in the Bible because he is the faithful witness. Uh, The law couldn't save the children of Israel or us. The judges couldn't save them. The kings couldn't save them. The prophets couldn't save them. And and what is the reason for that? It's because they were all, in the end, unfaithful. As good as some of them were, even King David. He was a man after God's own heart, but David couldn't save them. Because only Jesus Christ is the faithful witness. Only he is the faithful one that can save the lost. So he's worthy because he's the faithful witness. Secondly, he's the first begotten of the dead. If you were in Sunday school when I did the uh, series on 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 15, verse 20 says, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. Remember we talked about that? What does that mean? It doesn't mean he was the first one to ever raise from the dead. It means he was the first one to ever raise from the dead and never die again. Right? Brother Josh just talked about Lazarus this morning in Sunday school. Lazarus was raised from the dead but he died again, a physical death. Jesus Christ raised from the dead and, and never died again. Well, the interesting thing there is in 1 Corinthians 15 and in Revelation chapter 1, the first begotten of the dead, the first fruits of them that slept. What does that mean? We're gonna, we have a hope that that's us someday. He's going to raise us to be with him. So, so he's the first one to do it, but he's not the last because of the promises that he's given us. He's the first begotten of the dead. Uh, The world wants to portray Jesus Christ as a good teacher, and we talk about this often, but not God. But if he was not God, he was the biggest imposter that ever lived. He was not a good man. He was not a good teacher. He is God, and he conquered death. Uh, We talk about this often. Every other religion, uh, every other religion that's out there, um, their ruler, their leader, the guy that started, their religion is dead. And you can visit his tomb. Jesus Christ conquered death. And I think that, that is so important because the one thing that none of us can get away from. You say, well, there's two things that are a guarantee, right? Death and taxes. Well, taxes, you cannot pay them. Death, you're not avoiding it. One way or another, you are going to die. But because Christ is the first begotten of the dead, he gives us a promise that we, he conquered death for us also. We, have, we don't fear death because that's not the end for us. Uh, but, but the reason we don't fear it is because this lamb that is worthy of glory and honor conquered it for us. He's the first begotten of the dead. Thirdly, look at verse 5. And the, and the prince of the kings of the earth. We talked a lot about this last week, so I won't dwell on this, but he is the ruler of all the kings of the earth. Um. When we, read, when we read Revelation chapter 19, and, he said, and it says all the kings of the earth are come together to fight him. We're supposed to remember Revelation chapter 1. They're come to fight him, but he's the ruler of all of them. He's the prince of all of them. And then he goes on in Revelation 19 and says he's going to destroy them. But we're supposed to remember we have nothing to fear. And I think we, we get so afraid, we talked about this some last week, but we get so afraid of what's going to happen in America. What's going to happen if the economy go, you know, goes belly up? What's going to happen if this guy gets in office, not the guy I voted for? Or what are we going to do on the next election cycle? Who, who's even going to run? And it's fine to be uh, politically involved. It's fine. But we don't stake everything on politics. That's not the answer. It's not going to fix it for us. Uh, we don't have to worry about that because the one that rules all of them is our, is our Savior. He's our Father. Um, I wrote this down. Why, we, why do we put our hope in the kings of earth when we serve the king of all the kings of the earth? So we have this uh, terrible, awesome God in Revelation chapter nine, 19 and John says this. He is God. Remember, uh, we read those, the verses before verse 5 on purpose to see that he is God. So bow to him, and we will bow to him. said last week, we'll either, he'll either break our legs to make us bow to him, or we'll humbly bow before him as our father and our king. But he says he's the faithful witness, so honor him. He's the first begotten of the dead, so revere him. He's the prince of the kings of the earth, so fear him. So this is, this is the picture we have of God. And now or of Jesus. And now we get to verse to the end of verse 5. So all these things, he's faithful, deserving of honor. He's the first begotten, deserving of reverence. He's the prince. He's the ruler of all the kings of the earth. So he's deserving of our fear, of our, of our uh, righteous fear. We don't cower before him, but we fear him. And the fourth thing, why he is so worthy, this lamb, Unto him that loved us. He's all these things. And, and then he loves us anyways. Um, and I was thinking, love is very, very relative. And I think I explained what that means to Emma. She said, why do you always say relative? What does that mean? Um, love is relative to who it is that's doing the loving or what it is that's doing the loving. Right? If you have a dog, does your dog love you? You'd like to think so. Right? Right? But your dog loves you because you feed it and because you take it on walks, right? Uh, every time, every day I get home from work, Pete immediately goes to his food and eats all of his food. And Sarah, Sarah mentions that. Why does he do that? Pete loves me. But that doesn't, that's not what gets me up in the morning, right? Pete, my dog, loves me because I take care of it. But Emma loves me too because... She still thinks I'm a superhero, right? She still thinks I'm Superman. My wife also loves me, and she knows the problems I have. So that love is even more, much more than the dog, more than Emma. Jesus knows everything about me and still loves us. That's what I mean by it's relative. Uh, I read read a story, or or heard a story, or a joke, that... uh, I was going to say this, but I, where's Miss Barbara? I didn't want to hurt Miss Barbara's feelings. I was going to say my dog loves me because he's not a cat, but I'm not going to hurt Miss Barbara's feelings. <laughs> he's, uh, so I saw this cartoon, and it said, it was a, the first, capt- first picture was two dogs. They're sitting there. They've got food and water, and they said to themselves, our, our master feeds us. He takes care of us. He must be a god. And the next caption was two cats sitting there with food and water in their bowl, and said, our master feeds us and takes care of us. We must be gods. <laughs> and I think that's how cats act. But our love is relative to who it is that's doing the loving. And, the, and this savior of ours that knows every sin we've ever committed, the deepest, darkest secrets of our heart, that's, that maybe you've, you've never told anybody, You'd be ashamed if you, if you had to. He knows it and loves us anyway. He is worthy of our blessing and glory and honor. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, and these are verses we know, but this is, this is the message to a lost and dying world. He is this king. Fear him, reverence him, honor him because he's God. Or Romans 5.8, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 3.23, the wages of sin is death. But his love is so strong, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. After everything he knows about us, after all my sin that put him on the cross, Revelation 1.5, him that loved us. Now, sometimes love uh, doesn't always look like a hug, right? Or or uh, uh, soft words in, whispering in somebody's ear. That's not always love. Um, Jude 22 and 23. And of some have compassion making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. We saw Jesus Christ in the New Testament at times have righteous anger and do things that If we did it in this church, people would would go like that to the pastor. Jesus did it. Why? Because he loved people so much that he was willing to do whatever it took. Even Peter. He told Peter at one point, get thee behind me, Satan. It's not because he hated him. It's because he loved him so much. He was trying to win Peter's heart. Fifthly, verse 5. To him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood pastor says this all the time. Love is not an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's an action. This is the action Jesus did. Washed us from our sins in his own blood. And the only way to do that was to die on the cross and shed his blood. And then he washed our sins with that blood. John 15, 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. Ephesians five twenty five says, says this, you'll recognize these verses. Husbands, love your wives. Even as, the Christ, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. He's, worthy, he's a worthy lamb because that love that he has, he put it to action. He, he put, it, uh, put action to it and showed us by shedding his blood on the cross how much he loves us. Uh, I wrote this down. I was, I, I love studying four messages. I'm not super, super thrilled about giving them because my thoughts get so jumbled, but I wrote this down while I was studying. Love is not an emotion we feel when the worship team is up there rocking out the same seven words louder and louder and louder. They call them 7 songs. I don't know if you ever heard that. Seven words, 11 times. That's, that's the feeling we get when that's going on. That's not the love the Bible is talking about. Um, Love is an action that Christ demonstrated to us. The very people He was dying for were the ones crucifying Him. And He stayed on the cross. That's love. He did not want to do this. We saw that in the garden. Please let this cup pass from me. But His love required it of Him. And for that, He's a worthy Lamb. And then lastly, verse 6. And hath made us kings and priests unto God His Father, To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. He made us kings and priests. Uh, There's many verses that talk about it. Uh, It's not our works that gets us to heaven. When we stand before God, because of Christ is why we are worthy. So this worthy lamb makes us worthy of being kings and priests before God. Uh, Think of Cain and Abel. Why Why was Cain's sacrifice not acceptable? Why was it unworthy? Because it was an unregenerate man trying to bring this sacrifice to God. And it's not worthy of God. We, we have nothing we can bring to him. Abel's was accepted just like our, we are accepted before God because of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ makes us worthy. Verse 6, he hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father. He did it. And if we preach to a to a lost world, Jesus loves you. You just come as you are. He does say that. Come as you are, and don't leave the same way, right? Come as you are and change, but it's not our works that changes us. It's this worthy Lamb that makes us kings and priests unto God and His Father. So, when we have this picture in our minds of of what Jesus is, this this what I mentioned at the beginning, this soft Jesus, this. Um, uh, and I hate to do this because he is compassionate and he is love. And the Bible talks about that, but that's not all he is. That's why I went through all that at the beginning. Because we have to present to the world that, yes, he's love. But if you do not accept him, that love or that Jesus also has to judge righteously. And look at Revelation 19. Look what that judgment looks like. So his love will save us even though, even though we put him on the cross but reject Him and you're going to fear the wrath of a terrible, almighty God. That's what we need to preach to a lost and dying world because they're lost and dying. It's it's so... It's so... Uh, it's so uh, all I can think of is emergency. What's the word? It's so... Um, urgent. That's the word. It's so urgent that we tell this to a lost and dying world. Their sins are going to be their destruction. Only Christ can make us make our worship acceptable in his, his sight as well. Uh, so in conclusion, this is we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up here. Basically saying what we said at the beginning. Our, our picture of what Christ is in our eyes based on the Bible is exactly how we present him to a lost and dying world. Um, our belief doctrinally our our Christology, our belief of Christ, directly impacts our practical Christianity, how we worship Him, and how we witness for Him. These songs that you hear in, in, a, in, a, in a contemporary church service, is, it's made by people who see Christ as just this gentle, uh, loving person that could never, ever hurt a flea. But we sing hymns that say you've got to change. You must come to the cross. You have to be washed in the blood of the lamb that he shed on the cross. It it affects our worship and it affects our witness. We already talked a little bit about that. Um, Because our doctrine, our doctrinal theology is weak. Our practical theology is weak and demeaning to the Christ of the Bible. And I believe that. I believe that we, we apologize for Christ who doesn't need apologized for when we present him to the world. Uh, he, when we present this Jesus that we've been talking about today, he's appealing to their heart. But he, he doesn't need to be appealing, if that makes sense. He, he is not. We read it in the very beginning. He is uh, no former comeliness, and it's not something to be desired. He, he, he's a normal. He was a normal person because everything he needed, he didn't need personality, he didn't need looks, He had what people needed. He had uh, the salvation uh, that he was going to give in the form of his death on the cross. So I wrote this, this last and we'll close with this. Let's go from here and present to this world a Jesus who came to this earth, was crucified for their sin and for our sin and makes us able to challenge. I think a piece of this is gone makes us able to stand before God. The challenge then is to get a proper view of Jesus, to change the way we, represent, we present him to the world, not a sappy, soft surfer dude. And I'm telling you, people preach this. They do preach this. Jesus is my bro. You know why? Because of how they look at Jesus Christ. The picture they have of him in their mind is not this king coming with a sword in his mouth, slaying the nations that reject him. He's their bro because their doctrine is is wrong. Um, But he's not a surfer dude that wants to rock out with you and be your bro. I even wrote that. But a faithful, conquering king that conquered death and hell and suffered immensely to prove his love and is coming back to judge the world. We see him like that. It'll change our witness. It'll change our worship. And it'll change the way that we present Christ to a lost and dying world. Let's pray. And then we'll... I have an invitation. Father, I thank you for this day you've given us. God, I thank you for the, what we see in the Bible. God, you are a terrible, almighty God. And I pray that we would see you that way so we can present you that way to this world. Not to f- make them afraid, but to make them understand that this is not just something we can take or leave. If we feel like it, this is something that we must take. This is our only salvation. And I pray that we would present, this, present you to the world In this way, I pray that our doctrine would be right, especially when it comes to you. That we would study your word to understand who it is we're dealing with. And God, I pray that you would uh, use this message in the hearts of your people. I pray that you'd make us uh, faithful witnesses for you. We can't be the faithful witness, but we can be faithful and we can witness. And we can be what you need us to be in this lost and dying world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Go ahead and stand to your feet with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. And as the piano plays, God spoke to your heart. I don't know if this was a convicting message or not. It was to me that we get a right picture of what Jesus really is. The Jesus of the Bible, the God of the Bible. God spoke to your heart. You come forward and deal with him.